Welcome to the Work From Home edition of the Market Week in Review for the week ending February 5th, 2021. My name is Julie Zhang, and I'm joined today by our Chief Investment Strategist, Eric Vistavin. Hey, Eric. Hey, good morning, Julie. How are you? Very well. Wish we could see each other in person, but hopefully soon. Uh, on today's call, we're going to cover three topics. One is a potential negative interest rates in England and what that could mean. Uh, two is disappointing job markets, yet mingled with significant market results over the week. And then finally, uh, something that we're seeing creep up in the news cycle, which is the housing market. So let's start with the first one. What could potential shift to negative interest rates re- really mean for the Bank of England and for British banks in general? Well, let, let's take a step back. They, they haven't said they're going to do it, but they've said that there's the potential that she's, they're going to do it. And they, they want to kind of prepare the system for that. Um, as, there's some pretty um, significant infrastructure uh, stresses that negative rates actually create for the banking system and, and, and generally the financial system as a whole. Uh, so I, I think what they were doing was really saying, look, we, we want to take a look and we're going to seriously study what the, the that impacts of those decisions would be on that infrastructure and, and kind of the, the feasibility of moving to negative rates. But I, I, I think the most important thing is it, it signals that um, a, a conti- there's a continued concern over economic weakness. Now, there's economic weakness globally being caused by the, the pandemic itself. And we're all very familiar with what those are. Uh, but then, you know, the UK has even a, a different spin on it with Brexit, right? So you got kind of two things going on um, with the UK. And I think what the Bank of England was really clearly doing is saying, we are going to do everything we can to, to create a softer economic landing, given any incremental volatility from Brexit. Um, and we're going to try to make sure that we're also going to combat the negative aspects of the pandemic. And, you know, both those things will kind of be done together. Uh, I, right now, it's not a hugely attractive option. I mean, as you know, the Federal Reserve in the U.S. has said they're not. They 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 think it's it's more more grief than it is reward. Uh, I think the ECB would tell you that there are some negative, definite downsides to negative rates. All right. So the second question I have for you is uh, some bad news mixed with some good news. We've seen some sobering employment numbers. But then the markets have done really well. So what does this mixed mingled news actually mean? Yeah, we, we, we know sometimes bad news is good news. And I think that's what you're seeing to some degree this week. Um, yeah, we saw the jobs number for, for January today. Uh, it was a disappointing number. Uh, there were only about 49,000 jobs created on the month of January. And, and that was about well, that was actually a little less than half of consensus. So it undershot what was expected already to be a, a fairly weak number. The other thing that happened, which is is troubling, well, I mean, at least confirmation of the impact of the the coronavirus acceleration was that the numbers for December and November were adjusted down. So now it turns out that we've lost about two hundred twenty seven thousand jobs in December, um, which is a pretty significant drop in terms of the number of jobs that were lost in December. Um, now that is. Bad news and certainly an indication that the, the containment measures of the virus are taking an impact in the states. On the positive side of the ledger, there was some movement on incremental stimulus. And I, and I think what we saw this week was that the Biden administration has, has certainly signaled that it's willing to go it alone. It looks very clear at this point now is that the Democrats are going to pursue passing that $1.9 trillion um, stimulus package under reconciliation rules. They're, they're very technical, mm-hmm. but basically that just means they need a straight majority um, in the Senate and it eliminates the filibuster. 
And I, and I think the markets are liking that. The S&P is up about 4.5% this year uh, after not a great week last week. Interesting terminology, reconciliation. I've heard that a lot and it doesn't actually feel like reconciliation on their it side. Seems like so. the yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Great political terminology. Um, so now we're seeing this this topic hit the main uh, stream press a bit more. Is the housing market becoming a bubble as we're seeing rapid rise in home prices across the country? Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the Case-Shiller uh, real estate index uh, from over the last year that they, they reported, uh, which is just shy, I think it's the end of November, but good enough. Um, so housing prices in the U.S. are up about 10 percent, a little shy of 10 percent. Uh, our, our, our producers home state of Idaho is number one on the list in terms of price appreciation. You get a sense of, you know, it's a, it is a, a broad based increase in house prices in, in the United States. Um, I think people are seeing that and they're saying, oh, my goodness, in a, in a period where there's been a lot of economic softness. Um, housing prices are going up. Maybe that isn't sustainable and that's creating a bubble, which is, a, you know, not a bad observation. And then immediately all of our minds go to the last housing bubble, which was a global financial crisis and go, oh, my God, this is a really, really serious thing. Um, I'm not saying it's not, you know, something that will maybe give a little ground in the future. What I, But I think you've got to look at the dynamics of what's happening in the real estate market, single family real estate market in the United States now versus the global financial crisis. Credit standards are not slipping. These are no, these are not low doc loans. These people actually um, have jobs and they can actually service the, the, the debt. In fact, overall consumer debt service isn't rising. Um, and all of the, the stimulus and all of the things that the government has done to ease the blow of all the, all the, the economic softness have actually meant that savings rates have gone up in the United States and, and other countries in Canada, notably, um, so that people actually have money and they're not over committing themselves in terms of debt service. The other thing to note is that with that number at the end of November, if you think about the ratio of your house price um, to your annual income as a household, that number in the U.S. is between three and a half to four, depending on which numbers you use. Um, if you look at our friends of the north, we're kind of joining or getting closer to our friends in the north in Canada. Um, you know, Julie, you'll know this, that, that Canada has been talking about unsustainable housing prices for the last 20 years. Their ratio is about twice as high as that. Um, and yeah. Australia and our friends in London would tell you that, that, that they, they've been having the same thing. So very high prices um, create, yes, some risk in the system. But at this point, this doesn't look like a bubble to me. Um, this looks like the fact that supply is very, very limited. We've been creating significantly fewer houses. We've been building significantly fewer houses since the global financial crisis than is needed to take on new household formation. So I think this is kind of a classic supply and demand problem. Um, eventually, those things begin to find, find their feet. And I think you're going to see you know, not as much appreciation in the future, but I, I wouldn't expect a, a collapse in housing prices like I think some are fearing. I don't really see this as a bubble. I see this as a kind of an expensive market. And, and I think it's important to note, we've said this a lot over the last at least eight years, that when money is free or near free, um, financial assets get expensive. Um, and that includes stocks and that includes houses. Yeah. Well, for all my fellow Canadians, especially the ones in Vancouver, if you have a house, stay in it because it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be hard to switch at this point. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Eric, and for sharing your insights. Thank you all for joining us. We hope that you and your family stay healthy and safe. See you next time.